Welcome to Dream Chasers Radio, where we are always daring to be different. Get ready, get ready, get ready to be inspired. Let's get moving toward our goals. And here to make that happen is our host, Yaya Diamond. Oh, and daring, daring to be different, daring to be different. I tell you, this is Yaya Diamond, your host, and I am having a wonderful time. Oh, my gosh, so many meetings, so many different things going on. But I want to thank you for listening to us on Bomb Baby Radio, 97.5 FM Real Community Radio, as well as now the Dream Chasers Network has a live streaming going on 24-7, and we're getting ready to fill all the spots. That's right, all the spots with new content, so we'll have you uh, up to date on that really soon. And you're also listening to us in the Caribbean. Welcome to the show, all my Caribbean islands, Jamaica, Haiti, all you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, the islands, all the islands, all the Caribbean. That's right, all of them, as well as all of the the east border of of uh, Florida all the way from I believe Fort Lauderdale down. Oh my gosh, we're expanding! So that's going to be on the Caribbean Community Radio, and um, that also is CaribbeanCommunityRadio dot com. So you can tune into us everywhere. Literally, we are making headway. Yay! I'm sorry, I just I'm excited about the whole thing. Um, so uh, definitely. This is a point where you have to say, you face everything and rise, or do you ultimately be afraid and just fail? Fail, then you are ultimately afraid to succeed. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, about the people on this show today who have taken it in stride, faced their fears, but yet still rise. And I want to welcome to the show Christine Smith. Welcome to the show. Hi, Yaya. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on your show today. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So tell me about, I mean, just tell me about all this because you have a lot going on. You do. You have, I mean, I am very happy to have you on the show because you have a lot going on. So tell us about what, what you've done with your goals and facing fear. Well, great. Well, thanks so much for this wonderful topic, uh, which is um, really important today because I really believe in balance, life balance, and I've had to practice that, um, you know, my own journey uh, as an author. I'm a seven-time published author and a screenwriter of writing uh, my first screenplay uh, for my uh, fiction work. So that's exciting. Um, but before that, I, I have worked in, in communications and brand strategy for over 20 years. So I'm the person that really builds the brand from the ground up. I do the creative direction, all the content. Um, and I'm here based in California. There's been some fantastic projects we've done throughout the state. And it does take a lot of work, a lot of detail, um, you really have to sort of be on your game and pull the teams together, you know, to have an excellent product. So that's worked really well for over 20 years. And I wanted to stay with communication, so I uh, got into uh, doing books and audio books, e-books, and my current novel, which is called The Urban Boys, is on the Amazon charts and doing really well. But it does take a lot of effort and discipline. Um, 
And so those are some of the goals that I had set for myself, and I created some the strategies and techniques, the time management and self-care and a lot of things because at one point uh, the busyness, you know, caught up with me and it catches up with people. Um, so there was some, you know, stress and anxiety going on, and I had to really check that uh, in order to continue on my path. Mm-hmm. 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 Now, okay, so everybody has that moment where they, they're, they're afraid of success or they're afraid of failing. Which one was it for you? Was it the success you were afraid of or the failing of, of the success uh, that you were afraid of? I think more more of of failing. You know, I didn't I didn't see failing or quitting as an option. I don't see that as an option still. I I'm one of those people where the glass is always half full. I never see it as half empty. Of course, that depends on a lot of factors in a person's life. But um, yeah, failing was not happening. Was not an option. So. Um, with a lot on my plate, again, just, you know, and in the early days raising two kids, single mom, you know, and you have all the, the financial pressure and your career and everything that, you know, kind of uh, focuses you uh, positively, hopefully, for most people, um, just didn't see failing, you know, as an option. So luckily I was able to create, you know, really great relationships, and I studied time management, um, and I really employed that to the best of my ability to keep on track with everything and set some pretty aggressive goals. So, you know, I wouldn't fail. You go, if you do fail, you just, you just get right back up. That's you, we're all going to have setbacks, mm-hmm. but they're not designed to stop you in your tracks. You do need to, to keep going. Mm-hmm. Now I have to ask you with everything that you, you're an award-winning author, publisher, screenwriter, um, most noted for your current fiction work, The Urban Boy, The Discovery of the Five Senses. And mm-hmm. I definitely want to find out what, you know, you said you're passionate, you're a, for, uh, for advocate for youth development, mental wellness, family literacy, and arts, and enrich, enrichment programs throughout the world. Tell us how you knew that this was something you were supposed to do. I mean, was it a discovery that you made yourself? As you as you lived, or was it something you always knew you wanted to be and wanted to do? Well, yeah, I always knew I wanted to be involved with writing because I English was my best subject in school, and I knew I would use it someday. I thought I would actually be an English teacher at some point, and I stayed with it to an extent in communications because I, I'm you know English is the and writing is the core of our industry, as you know. Um, mm-hmm. but because I have two, two daughters, um, who are now 24 and 25 and a half. And at the time when they were in high school, I was very active as a parent volunteer. And, um, there was a group of parents. These were African-American parents who got together and we created a center tutoring at the school and we staffed it and we worked with our kids and families. And I could see some things going on with the students where they were not remembering some of the basics of English. And these are advanced students, too, or so-called honors or advanced students who um, even just some of the, the core basics, because they, they were so overwhelmed with so much homework and all, they were, needed structure on their essays or whatever it was. And we were there to support them. But that kind of struck me. And there were other kids who were less, uh, you know, were performing at quite that level who needed some support. So 
I was thinking to myself, if maybe I could write something that's entertaining but educational, I could work on, you know, getting more kids, especially more minority kids, to read. And that was one of the inspirations for the Urban Boys uh, series of books. Um, And that's kind of how that started. And I just got the ideas for the characters, and I thought, wow, I'm going to, challenge the readers on, you know, some, some, some prose here. I'm not going to give up my craft, just, you know, but I want them to, to understand new words, new phrases, mm-hmm. and understand the lyrical connection. You know, writing in a lyrical fashion is um, taking a plain sentence and making it fresh and new and, you know, using a lot of adjectives and I'm a descriptive writer, so I want them to hang with me on that. But it's been mm-hmm. really favorable, and uh, I think that we can expect our young people to rise to the challenge. And we have plenty of adults reading, too. It's for adults and students, but um, it was a good spark to see these kids who I think needed a little bit of uh, coaching and help, you know, to get to the next level, and I wanted to do it in an entertaining way. Right, right. Now, okay, so mental wellness. I mean, talk about that. I mean, you're you're really touching on really – uh, big factors, especially in, in the black community, in the communities of color. Tell us about that. How how uh, listeners can slow down. I mean, how, I mean, tell me what can they do to help each other get better. Yes, that's that's a uh, thanks for bringing that up. That's such a, a big important issue. And and with the work you do, the work I do, and and all of us, it's, it's a lot, you know. And and we have to have that balance. And that's one of the things that I had to work. Toward, and I'm really um, protective of that. Um, so I personally don't go backwards into, you know, the episodes that I had around anxiety, which led to a couple of panic disorder uh, episodes as well. And so um, mental wellness. So my communications work over the last seven years took me into mental health. Um, so, again, doing brand strategy, and I worked with the Children's Mental Health Advocacy Group. Um, and there's a, a so I learned a lot about the DNA of people and and who is maybe predisposed to mental health conditions, uh, what external factors might exacerbate that, like trauma, or um, you know something that or, or or drug abuse or whatever that's maybe compounding an underlying mental health disorder. So mm-hmm. uh, there's kind of like two two layers there. There's the clinical side, which is really the disorders that need to be treated. And then it's kind of like the wellness side, which is the things that we do. Might call it a little bit more holistic interventions like, you know, mindfulness and breath work and, you know, um, meditation and, you know, I practice Tai Chi and, you know, uh, exercise, nutrition and and plant-based medicine, things that you can integrate into your life. You don't have to have a clinical disorder, but stress will creep up on people like a stealth bomber, you know, it'll just come upon mm-hmm. you. And when you haven't haven't checked it and kept it in, in, in control, um, then it can lead to anxiety, uh, which is one of the precursors to um, suicide, actually, along with depression. It can lead to depression. It can lead to stress and, and physical conditions, but also mental conditions. So it's just best to um, take a little time, you know, maybe a little less TV or a little less saying yes to everybody and a little more time, you know, saying no and, and studying 
these conditions and, and what you can do for yourself for mental wellness. Because that has to be a daily thing. Like self-care needs to be a new daily habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Most people don't think of them, you know, like like mom and, and, and dad. They don't think of themselves. They think of their children or people are always thinking about other people. But how important is it for a person themselves to take care of themselves mentally and physically in order to be there for other people? Yeah, that's very, very important. In our industry, you know, because we, uh, I'm associated with people who have lived experience, who've been through this already, and they will tell you that there's no way that you can take care of someone else, especially who's in an emergency, let's say if somebody has a mental health emergency or has a, a sudden physical condition, then you're the caretaker all of a sudden. If you're not taking care of you, you actually are not going to be able to take care of that person. You're going to burn out. You know, there's not enough respite going around for people. Um, and so you have to learn to, you know, take that time. And, and as far as, you know, children go, and I love all the children of the world, so I'm not <laughs> out of, you know, turn here by saying what I'm about to say, but the parents were there before the child. You know, the, we were there before the children came along. And the children are not designed to, like, run our lives or, or, or overwhelm us with their needs, which are endless. So there has to be a balance for the, the mother, father, caretaker, relative, whoever has the child, foster parent, need to have time away from the child, away from all of that, and away from work and everybody else to, to repair. There has to be a, a, a way to rest and repair um, because those neurotransmitters continuously breaking down, your health always, you know, breaking down cells in the body, break down can't replenish any, any of that if you're just writing all the time, writing yourself and um, running yourself into the ground because somebody needs something. You know, that's no, that's not the way it's supposed to work. So people have to be independent, you know, while we go and, and care for ourselves so that we can, you know, help others along along the way. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you a question because I, I find that exactly what you just said, you know, there has been times where I have to get away. I have to. I have no choice because if I don't, I'm going to go absolutely out of my mind bonkers, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> how good is it? You know, you, know you, you, want to, you want the best for your kids. You, you want them to, to have, you know, everything that you didn't have, basically. I mean, it, that's, that's what a parent works for, really. Um, how, how important is it that you think for a parent to exercise? Wow. Wow. That's a good one. Really important. That's really, that is a major stress reliever and it keeps our, our weight in check. It keeps our health in check and it does wonder that even actually people who have depression, like clinical depression, um, when they exercise, um, that's a, that's a natural antidote. You know, it stimulates endorphins and different things in the brain and it, 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 replaces thoughts and you know it does different things to help our wellness and it's so important and you know again I mentioned that I was a single parent you know years ago when my girls were little and all I had was a DVD at 5 30 in the morning at home you know that that's what I had because I had to get them up get them to daycare and go to work you know so 
We don't mm-hmm. always have these fancy things, and it doesn't take a lot of money or equipment. Um, but, you know, and, and maybe taking the baby for a stroller ride or something after work or um, using the gym's daycare or, 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 or actually starting a co-op, you know, with other parents so that you can have your time away, then they babysit, and then you babysit their child, you know. Um, that way you don't exchange any money because it's also expensive mm-hmm. to have kids and that financial pressure is another layer of stress that can, you know, cause issues for people. So um, there's ways to get around, you know, some of those things. A co-op would be good, but exercise is at, really at the top of the list, especially as we get older as women. Right, right. Now I want to ask you a question. All the things, and I know I've been asking questions, and I say that all the time, and I want to make sure that people understand that this is a question. Um, with all the mm-hmm. things that you've done in all and in, in the books and, and the studying that you've done, what have you come up with that can help others through uh, your studies, through your books? Um... Well, let's see the things that can help others. Well, I think that the the primary thing, because my work has been rooted at least uh, in the recent years in, in, in mental health, as I uh, employ some of the wellness practices that I learn about and that we teach about, um, I think the, one of the, the, the key things is to, to know the, the family history so that you know your wellness history because whatever work you do, if you're an author or if you run a company or you work for somebody, um, you know, the, the, there will be very busy times. And, and again, we, we don't always stop to think about the stress that's creeping up on us and what it can do ultimately. Um, so it's kind of like taking time, that's the number one thing I would say, take time for that you know, to learn about that, a little bit about the mental health condition, and also where the resources are in your community, whether you have insurance or not, because in America, it's split down the middle. It's either you have insurance and you're in a a system, or you don't have insurance and you're on either Medi-Cal, Medicaid, or you don't, uninsured. So there's different systems for treatment, you know, whether it's health or mental health. And um, the urgent care clinics, the places where you go in an emergency, sometimes are like the best-kept secrets in town. So lately we've been having a lot of dialogue around that, uh, particularly because in California we have a unique tax structure where our state generates uh, $2 billion a year through a special tax for mental health. Um, So there's a lot of programs, a lot of resources, and we have an additional $2 billion coming if we can get this second piece of legislation passed, and that will be for uh, people who have mental illness who are homeless or at risk of being homeless. So we mm-hmm. soon may have $4 billion annually in our, um, in our state, and that just refreshes every year, so we have a good supply. Um, but if you, you know, are working a lot and something comes up and there's an emergency, you need to just know where to go. So that's one of the things that I think is most important um, that I've passed along to people who have taken our workshops or, you know, personally called me because maybe their family member is, you know, now there's a mental health disorder. They just don't know what to do. So um, mm. to not be caught off guard, I think that's one of the big biggest things we can do is spend a little bit of time, you know, figuring out where the resources are just in case. Just like getting ready for the, your disaster kit, you have your disaster kit at home, you need a wellness plan too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Okay, I know I did ask you. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the other second half of the question uh, a little bit later because I I saw on your website that nutrition, nutrition, mm-hmm. is is like a mood changer. Yes, 
So when people go out and they eat fried foods and they eat, uh, you know, uh, the, the fast, food, fast foods and, and all that, in comparison to eating something healthy or even cooking at home, uh, these things affect the mood. It affects the willingness to actually get up and go as well. I mean, I'm looking and I'm going, my, you know, it's, it's so much that goes hand in hand. Um, but there, but you can help them. Uh, you have the, you have all kinds of different information on your website. Uh, so I want people to know where to, where they can reach you, where they can read, and also they can subscribe. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. And um, our website is mentalhealthca.org, um, mentalhealthca.org. And, um, yeah, we feature a lot of different uh, kinds of content. This is a nonprofit that I launched uh, not that long ago. I've been working in the industry for a, a long time, and I'm, it's a marriage of my communications and, and writing and creative work uh, with mental wellness. And so we mm-hmm. publish a, a statewide magazine on, on mental health. We have readers from outside of California as well, and people can subscribe to that in our e-alert uh, if they'd like to do that. And, uh, yeah, there's articles and different things that they can that they can read. And there are nutritional topics because that's really important to have proper nutrition. Um, there's, there's foods called brain foods, you know, like the avocados, the salmons, and different things that are they're B vitamins. They're, they're actually doing some studies around treatment of depression with B vitamin therapy. D vitamins are really important. Um, and then there's some other things that, you know, are more herbal, like adaptogens, uh, mm. where adaptogens, uh, if you're familiar with those, are um, mm. a special plant that grows. It's not that many plants that are in that family, but they can boost, you, you know, they give you like this, uh, they work on whatever's wrong in your system, you know, and mm-hmm. um, total total turnaround when you start taking, you know, plant-based medicine. Um, so the nutrition is really, really important. Mm. Wow. Well, where can people you can so you got the but can people join you on Facebook as well? Yes. Uh huh. We're on Facebook. Um, we're on Facebook at Mental Health CA. Um, so Mental Health CA, and it's the same on Twitter, Mental Health CA. Um, so love to have uh, some interaction with folks on social media. Our our latest cover, our latest uh, that can see the latest cover of our magazine on Facebook, which is uh, uh going around and hundreds of people are you know, commenting, liking that, which is really, really um, exciting and signing up for, you know, our alert um, Facebook, which we have a lot of, you know, good information going out every day. Um, and then if we announce our trainings. We train in mental health first aid, uh, which is a, a, a Australian-based um, curriculum, which is a really a good curriculum. It's interactive. It teaches you about um, mental health conditions and wellness and things like that. It's really good class. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just sort of a, you know, with my writing and, and, um, a a lot of activities related to publishing, I, 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 like I said, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I guard my time, uh, if you will, for the wellness that I need to do every day to keep all of that going, you know, because in in my Mm -hmm. writing period, when I'm in the, uh, it's, I do a thousand words a day. I write a thousand words a day when I'm writing a novel, you know, so um, yeah, that's a lot with other things happening. So I have a system for that, and, and it, um, you know, sometimes I'm above the thousand words, but um, it, it takes uh, wellness to make that happen 
you can't have too many other things stressing you out when you're on, on in production. No, you can't. You definitely can't. Wow. Wow. Well, I mean, you have done so much um, and you've studied so much and you've put to, you know, you've put to the paper, you, you've done it. You know, a lot of people will, um, you know, I look up to you. A lot of people look up to you. What is the biggest thing that you usually tell people when they're for inspiration um, and also a pointer from you? Yeah, well, you know, in 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 my world, I I, I look to the Lord for for inspiration. I'm a believer in in the connection between spirituality and mental health. That's a natural relaxer. Relaxer. It centers me. Um, it keeps me focused. Um, and so I'm able to really sort through a lot of things and stay focused on what I need to do and stay thankful and prayerful. And that that's very helpful for me personally. Um, and so uh, people just need to tap into their inner source, you know, and, and also, um, again, just, just if they're looking to, to have a plan to, you know, it's, the talking cannot be a part of that plan. I guess that's the mm-hmm. way to say that. It, there's no way to enact the plan if you're just thinking about it or talking about wanting to do it. So in the time that we spent talking, you probably could have started that book you've been meaning to write. Could probably get like at least four or five sentences or, or a paragraph down, or mm-hmm. you know, picked up that book you've been meaning to read, or started that garden. Just just put the the tomato in the dirt. That's all that it takes, you know. Instead of talking <laughs> about wanting to do it, so it's a mind shift. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're right. You are so right. And y'all, y'all, I have a question, yeah. question for you. I'd like to know about what you do for um, your mental wellness and your self-care. Is there anything you are doing currently for your own self-care? You know, that's that's a good question. <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> uh, so I have, I have determined to do my workouts, so I go to the gym. Uh, at least five mm-hmm. days a week, and I never skip out on two things, or actually three things. I do at least 20 to 30 minutes of cardio when I walk in the gym first off. I, mm. I do everything else in between, but I never skip on my squats, and I never skip on my sit-ups. That's my plan. Mm. And uh, I, I drink really kombucha. Good. I drink kombucha. Uh, if I get sick, I take golden seal. I don't take any regular medications. I stay away from those. Um, I do all natural stuff, and I eat mostly vegetarian food, salads and things like that, Um, a lot of salad a day. day. Um, You know, I'll go and blend up some kale and spinach and put it in with some bananas and some fruit and have myself a really nice smoothie. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying this. This is to me, this is wonderful. Uh, it boosts me up. It doesn't make me feel like I need to go take a nap. <laughs> so, you know, and to get energy, I have to give, get, you know, wasted. So I found myself even more energetic as uh, the more I work out, the more I, I push myself. And that's mm-hmm. what I do. That's great. And wow. I, I know about the beginnings. I, I, Ashwagandha was one of them. Rodi Rosella was another there's a few other ones mm-hmm. too, um, so I, I study mm-hmm. about that. You know, I keep it to myself though because it doesn't work for everybody. Mhm. True. True. 
Well, that is great. Well, you're an inspiration. That's amazing. Very, great discipline, you know, on very healthy and positive things. I'm proud of you. Well, it took time. You know, it's not something that happened overnight. It was a decision I made because every choice is – everything that you have in your life, every moment that you grieve, that you have, you know, decided to buy the furniture you have to sit on, you you decided to take that job or not, You it, it's all a decision that you make and, and your choices re- results and there are results for everything. You just have to get the good results because you made good choices. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Yes. Well, that's but great. You're very you. deliberate and intentional. Very, very. <laughs> but I thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for for developing uh, mental health. Ca. dot org uh, for people. I mean, you know, you do a lot, and so I, I'm very, I'm very thankful because people. People need to know that there's encouragement out there and that they're not alone and that this is a just this is a, a condition that can be dealt with and treated and, and made better. Yes, yes, very much. So I really appreciate the conversation with you and thanks so much for having me. And uh, in the future, if I can be a resource to any of the listeners, um, they can certainly contact me through the website and hope to, uh, to visit with you again in the future, definitely. I want that. I love it, and it must be in the plant. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. All right. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> I am loving it. I am loving it. I'm loving the fact that we have help out there. Uh, I'm loving the fact that, that you know now that you are not alone and that the condition can be and will be treated and that you can get help. This is an important factor for us here at Dream Chasers Radio that you know, and, and you guys know the story. And if you heard my story, then you don't know that, yes, I was depressed. And the reason I started the station was because I wanted to find other people out there that do some stuff so that I can be inspired and continue to hard actually to do what I knew I could and should have been doing. And um, and when I when I found you, when I found you, that's right. I'm speaking to all of you. When I found you, you were my blessing. You were my hope. You were the reason I started picking myself up by the by the shirt and say, you could do this, Yaya, and I want to thank you. And I do have a my next guest on the line. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hey. Hello. Is this, is this Awkward Shaman? Yes, this is Awkward Shaman. Shaman, okay. So tell us about yourself. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I don't know, where do I begin? I make music. I'm an earthling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
don't know. It's just the guy that makes music. I don't know what it's there to tell. <laughs> but I, I think you're a guy that makes great music. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think you are. So how did you start? That is the I mean, Yeah. How did you get started? Oh, I've been singing since I was a child. Um, I started out singing uh, Lauren Hill, actually. Well, Fuji's ah. Strumming My Pain was like the first song I like sang, and like people heard me and was like, whoa. Because like, I sang it like just like Lauren Hill, like hit every note and everything. I think I was like nine. And uh, I started writing in like middle school, like poetry. And then like rock bands and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. and I just kept writing. Writing is like, you know, the thing that keeps me going. Is, you know, writing awesome. songs or, you know, mm-hmm. little skits or stories and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. now tell me tell me more about yourself. Tell me about you you know, you said that you, you started singing uh Lauren Hill song, you know, uh, but tell me, you know, there's steps to get where you are. What did you do to start doing this, you know, start making music? I really just put myself out there, like reaching out to people on the internet and like, you know, just put, really just putting myself out there, like networking is like the serious, like main thing in like the music business to like get you to the top is like your networking skills. So it's really just putting mm-hmm. yourself out there, being, you know, knowing what you want and, you know, knowing who to talk to and being genuine. But I mean, I guess how I got here is just continuing to make music no matter what for me personally. And everyone's story is different, you know. Every path doesn't work the same for everyone. There's no one set path, one that way to get to your goals so for me it was just really just continuing to write and record the music that I was writing because I'm always writing and at some points when I'm writing I get like full my books get my books and my notepads get full and I'm like all right well I gotta stop writing and like record (laughs) to get some of these songs out of the way to clear space for more writing Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Really just write, continue writing and putting myself out there, looking for ways to put the music out, different avenues, different ways, different people to talk to. I don't like to stay set in like one genre or one lane. I like to explore new worlds in the music world because there's always there's always little pockets to find people in and people to work with and learn new things in as well. Okay. Wow. Well, I love what you've done with your music. Tell me about your song, um, the, the, uh, goodness gracious, what is it called? Green? It's uh, <laughs> Green Gel. Why Green oh, Gel? Uh, uh, I mean, it's actually, um, a lot of my music is influenced by psychedelic things. So Green Gel is a play on, like, uh, a psychedelic if you're in the psychedelic world you would understand it's a it's a it's a, like lingo <laughs> but green okay. is a song about just like a psychedelic experience where you just you know 
you know, let yourself go and learn about yourself as well at the same time as just like experiencing your surroundings and learning that everything is connected in one. And it's a trip. It's a trip around the world within yourself. You know what I'm saying? Mm. It's sort of an out-of-body experience. So oh I, try my gosh. Turn that into, I try to turn that into, uh-huh. you know, the uh, something I tried to I tried to make that into something that a sort of mainstream audience could connect to with the way the music is today and just connecting all the dots because everything is connected. Right. Wow. We're gonna go ahead and play that right here on Drew Spaces Radio. Here it is with Awkward Shaman. Shaman, right? Shaman, yes. Shaman. I'm you know what? I'm twerking it. Sorry. Next time I'll let you say it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's that shit. 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 Yeah, that's that shit.
actually love it, actually. I like it. So where did, I mean, you know, where did you get this? I mean, how did you figure out that you could do this, if you could put music together? And what were your first project like? And now that you have this out, what is the difference? I mean, have you have you be, have you saw you seen yourself get better uh, since you started? Uh, yeah, I've definitely seen myself better get better, and I feel like I'm sort of writing the same sort of songs as my first project. I'm just getting better with getting the quality and arrangement and getting the songs how they sound in my head, like out on wax. Because before I was, like, recording myself in, like, a bathroom and it didn't do the songs that I heard in my head and that I wrote justice. So I've gotten out and, like, worked with professional stuff like that. And and uh, I've, you know, gone around uh, the city that I live in, Richmond, Virginia, you know, looking for an uh, engineer that can work with my voice and my songwriting style, you know, the best to get songs to sound as precise as they sound in my head. Like for me, the, the when the song sounds right is, is when it sounds the way it sounded in my head when I first heard it to start writing it, because that's how I start writing songs. I first hear it in my head. I like hear the hook in my head and like literally like the arrangement and like the melodies and harmonies. I hear it in my head first and then I try to write it out. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So now that you can do all that, now that you've got that kind of down pat, you've, you've, were you very critical on yourself though? I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, when we start out on something, was it, was there any moment that you looked at yourself and said, man, you are so bad at this, you shouldn't even do it? I mean, no, I've never thought like I was bad at it and I shouldn't do it because to me, like, this is my, like, my lifeblood. Like, I would literally be dead without doing music. Like, because I was, I, I started out, you know, in, like, like rock bands and, like, writing and stuff. Because I was, like, a, a really, like, emotional, like, suicidal teen. So I started out writing poetry and stuff to, like, that, and that, like, kept me going. And, like, music, like, kept me going. So I never thought, like, I was bad at it. I should quit. I've always just... I've, before I was I was doing it, you know, to keep me going, you know, as like a way to get my feelings out. So I was critical of myself as like putting it out because I don't view music as like a better than system. I view music as like okay. each person is going to do it differently because each individual is different and getting their emotions out is a, is a different way. Each person has a different ear, you know? So mm -hmm. it's always, it's always been like, a difference and preference. I look at it real, like literal, as you know, you know, liking things is, you know, based on human to human experiences. Each person likes things differently. So I never thought I'm bad. I shouldn't do this because I think everyone should do music or something artistic and creative as a way, as like a sort of therapeutic, you know, like a psychological oh. therapeutic thing to get those feelings that you can't express through words or through in everyday life, you can get this out through artistic exposure. So I never viewed it as mm -hmm. I should stop. But I've always viewed it as like, I'm going to put this out and I'm going to let whoever hears it and connects with it. And then I'm just going to let it be that. And I'm going to accept it as that. It's gotcha. therapy for me. And maybe it can be therapy for other people out there in the world because I have, we have access to the internet 
and anyone can put anything, any of their artistic expression out and connect with anyone across the world, whether it be two or three people or three million people, you still affected someone in the world. You connected with someone in the world. So it's Mm -hmm. always been pure for me, never uh, sort of, it's always been a, a reflective and a way for me to look at myself. So it's never been, I shouldn't do this. Because it's been, I need to do this mm-hmm. to understand life and understand myself and to stay alive and keep going. Hmm. You know, I would say that some people out there are afraid of maybe showing people their gift or, or displaying their creative talents. And so instead of showing it, they're so afraid that, of the criticism, the failure of it all, what do you tell those people? Criticism is going to come. Someone's going to like it. Someone's not going to like it, no matter what. Criticism is going to happen. We're humans. That's what we do. That's all we know how to do in our, in our capacity, you know, these days. is first thing people do is criticize something before they even really objectively look at it and try to understand it. They criticize it first. Hmm. Wow. So it's going to happen That you shouldn't be afraid to put it out there Because you should also criticize yourself If you criticize mm-hmm. yourself Like really, like truthfully Then you won't be afraid of other people's criticism Because you already know those things about yourself You'll be able to tell mm-hmm. someone that Before You'll be honest with yourself and with other people And be able to tell someone That thing that they'll try to criticize you about You'll be able to tell them that Before they can even criticize you about it Mm-hmm Wow, wow. And that's so true. That's so true. So, okay, when you began, were you afraid to fail or were you afraid to succeed? I think I honestly afraid of the of society's definition of success. Because to mm. me, I succeeded in living life the way I want to with the freedom to do what I want. I'll literally wake up, you know, every day and decide what I'm going to do that day. Mm-hmm. And I'm not famous or anything like that, you know. I'm not super rich or anything like that. I just, you know, mentally took control of my life that way. And so, but I am super afraid of succeeding, like, in the way society views success, like a Kanye West or Jay-Z level, because I'm power, power and that sort of subject the sort of success corrupts a person. It changes them mm-hmm. to where they're not operating to the way I do music now, I'm doing it to for full expression and, you know, to for free for freedom. And when you're in that sort of position, you're doing it to stay in power, to stay in that position. Mhm. Wow, and that's and, that, and I have a I have a sort of purity complex when it comes to like music and art and things like that. So I don't ever I'm I'm yeah I'm super I'm afraid of like that sort of success. Like I'm afraid it would change me, and like I won't be the same or make music the same. And uh, honestly, I feel like my music would get way worse. And so, is that holding you back? Do you think, or or are you are you overcoming that fear? No, I'm, I don't think it's holding me back because, again, as I said, I I don't 
view the world the same way society, you know what I'm saying? Like society's definition of success is not my definition of success. Like I'm living comfortably and have a family and everyone's, you know, protected and, you know, I'm saying my children go to good schools and stuff like that. And I don't need more. Mm-hmm. Mm. I make, I get to make music every day the way I want to and when I want to. I'm not beholden mm-hmm. to anyone. I don't have a boss, no one that tells me what to do or when to do it. You know what I'm saying? I And I get to, you know, work with the people I want to and tell the people I work with what I want to do and have them do it for me. <laughs> oh, so I hear that. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. And, I, and, I, and that's the only way I will work, you know, in the business. Like, and, and mainly, like, I don't even, like, mainly uh, um, I like, you know, writing the most. And I've gotten to, like, write for people. And that's, like, a thing I want to do more. And that's also just me being, you know, doing, just jumping in and doing what I want to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't even. Mm. Hmm. I love it. I love that you are happy with where you're at now. You're happy uh-huh. with progress. Um, you are what, definitely. Go ahead. If more comes, then I'll accept what comes, and you know it'll just be a bonus, you know, to what I already have in life. Mhm. Mm. I'm I'm very happy about that. So, where can people reach you? Uh, you can find me at awkwardshaman.com, uh, uh, Awkward Shaman on SoundCloud, Awkward Shaman on Spotify. Literally, that's all connected to awkwardshaman.com. If you Google Awkward Shaman, I'm the only person that pops up. Um, so awkwardshaman.com. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I love your song, and I thank you for giving me permission to use it on our radio station. We're going to go ahead and put that in rotation. And uh, is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners with today? Oh, yeah. No, thank you for, uh, you know, liking Awkward Shaman to you personally. And also check out my newer music on Spotify because uh, Green Gels is actually um, a year or so old. And I've mm-hmm. released newer music and have a new album coming out. So uh, in late summer called Sweet, I've released, you know, two uh, singles for and a couple of videos. Now, also check okay. out the Green Gels video on YouTube. And uh, yeah, just those things. New music awesome. coming soon. And check out my music at aquacharmin.com and on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much again for being on the show. When you get updates, you got to let us know about it. You can't be a stranger now. Right. You're part of the Bruce's Radio family. <laughs> Thank you. Right, Anytime you, know, you want me to come back, I'll be back. Awesome. Awesome. That's right. I'm looking forward to it. All right, then. Okay. All right. Thank we'll you. talk again soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. You see, we all have something we need to do in life. And as long as you're doing it the way you want to do it on your own terms, and when you're ready to progress, you can do it. You can do it. I want to and play a little insert that I have here of Tony Robbins' Succeed.
One of the critics, actually, that I once met said, yeah, Tony's techniques, they were great for about a year and a half, and then they wore off. <laughs> what do you say to that, folks? If you don't, if, yeah, it's real simple. If you don't work out, you don't get a, you don't get a muscle, right? right? So I always tell people, this is, there's a daily practice, like priming. If you don't do that, if you get up and you just have no discipline whatsoever, you get no value of anything. And diets don't work when you don't do them. Exercise doesn't work when you don't do them. But most of the people have some experiences that they want to shift. And once you shift those things, your whole life changes. But life is constant growth. My life isn't here because I went to one seminar one time and now my life is fit for life. I, I work out, I train my mind, I train my body, and it becomes a lifestyle. It's not just uh, like you're depending upon somebody else. I'm not here to become somebody's guru. I'm not here to give them a gift. I'm here for them to open up their own gifts. And that's really what my work has been. People who succeed in any situation have a pattern of what they do to succeed. And it doesn't matter whether that person is succeeding in a business context or in a relationship context. It doesn't matter what the environment is. The fundamental lessons or laws for succeeding are very, very basic. So if we're looking for the ultimate success formula, the very first thing we have is you have to know what you want, which we call know your outcome. If you're going to succeed at anything, it's hard to succeed, hard to hit a target when you don't know what it is. And as simplistic as this sounds, do, no, do most people really know what they want? What do you think, yes or no? At least not consciously they don't, right? And so it's going to be very, very difficult to achieve what you want when you haven't defined it. But this is going to become a question we're going to want you to ask yourself a lot. What is my outcome in this situation? I even have a time management system that I developed. It's really a life management system, which we call OPA, because the first O sounds for what's my outcome. Because you can come up with a question like, what should I do? And you're going to end up with a long list. But as you do all these things, what will happen is you can cross something off your list and still be unfulfilled and not really achieve anything that matters. So you'll say, what's my outcome first? Then you begin to decide what you need to do to get the outcome. So in this case, we want to say, what's your outcome? You want to make it a habit to ask this question a lot. You're in the middle of a conversation. Stop yourself if it seems to go nowhere and say, what's my outcome here? Do I want to connect? Do I want to influence this person? Do I want to learn something? What's your outcome? For example, how many of you have ever been caught up in an argument and you even forgot what you're arguing for, but you knew you had to win? How many have been there? Say I. Okay, if in the middle of that argument you were to ask yourself the question, what's my outcome here? I guarantee you your brain would say, well, my outcome is not to fight. My outcome is to resolve this. And as you get clear on what your real target is, your behavior will change automatically. So very, very few people know what they want. And the more you clear you can get about what you want, the more you can really achieve. You might write underneath this as a subset of number one, still number one, just write clarity is power. Clarity is power. The more clear you can become about what it is you really want, the more power you're going to have. Because your brain is like a servo mechanism in a, a bomb, as an example. When they send a missile out, it has a servo mechanism. It knows what the target is. And when the target moves, it follows it. Well, your brain is very similar. When you decide exactly what it is you want, you start picking up information that you never would have picked up before consciously. For example, have you ever bought a particular car maybe, or maybe a certain outfit, and then all of a sudden you see that car or outfit everywhere? How many have had that experience? Say, I. Well, was that car outfit already around you all the time? Yeah, but you didn't notice it because there's a portion of your brain that is responsible for one thing, and that is screening out 99% of what you see, hear, and feel in the life. Because if you were to notice everything that's going on in this room right now, you go start craving mad. But most of you don't. You pay attention to a small number of things. If you could right now notice what? Millions of things. You could notice my voice. 
You could listen to what I'm saying. You could notice what's going on in the background, the screens. You could hear the air conditioning. You could smell your neighbor off to all that jumping up and down. Notice that. Right? You could feel maybe a little sweat trickling across your chest or whatever was going on after all that jumping up and down. You could feel the blood maybe vibrating or circulating through your left eardrum. But you don't think about those things. So maybe I mention them or something triggers it. So this part of our brain that's responsible for deleting most of our thoughts and most of the things that are going on around us, that part of our brain, when, you know, when it knows what you want, it makes you notice those things. You suddenly see that car because it's important. It's called the reticular activating system. You don't have to write all that down. For short, it's called RAS. The reticular activating system tells your brain what to pay attention to. So when you say, this is what I really want, now anything that relates to that that you would have noticed before will start popping up into your focus. And a lot of times people say, it's amazing. I decided this, and it was kind of you know, synchronicity. These things started popping up. Well, these things were probably around you before, but you never noticed them because you hadn't decided your outcome. Now, when you know your outcome, you're ahead of 95% of the population. But that's not enough. The second thing you've got to know is a lot of times you know your outcome, but you lose your drive. You know, you want something, but you forget the most important thing, which is know why you want it. Know why you want it. You've got to know the purpose. In our OPA training system, when people are managing their lives, we have them ask, what's my outcome? And then why do I want this? Because any person successful, really successful, knows exactly what they want and they know why. The reason you've got to know why is, remember I said yesterday, reasons come first, answers come second. If you get enough reasons, you can get a big enough why, you can figure out how to do about anything. But you've got to have purpose because purpose provides drive. Now, if you know what you want and you know why, you're light years ahead of most of the population, but you've got to go the step that most people seem to avoid, and that is you've got to take massive what? That's right, and the key word there is massive. Massive action can be a cure-all when you know what you're after and you know why you want it. Because when you know what you're after, when you take action, you won't just be expending energy. You'll be moving yourself in a direction towards something you really, really want. And by the way, last night we called taking massive action personal what? Power, which means the ability to take action. And what stops people from taking action? Primarily what? Fear. And the way you get over that fear is what do you think is the number one fear most people have? Failure. And the reason is they feel if they fail, they won't be loved. They'll be rejected. They'll be hurt. They'll be judged. So what they really are afraid of is losing love. And they think that this rejection, or I should say this failure, will lead to that rejection or loss of love. The truth of the matter is you can't fail unless you don't try. If you try something that doesn't work, you just learn from it, and that will make you better the next time you go about it. Now, if you know your outcome, know why you want it, and take massive action, you're now in the most small percentile of people on the planet. So what's the next step, though? Well, you can take a lot of action and get caught up in a pattern. Like, you become so determined that you became like tunnel vision. Like, I know this is going to work. And so you keep running east looking for a sunset with total certainty and a lot of belief. High standards still doesn't work. So what you have to be able to do to succeed so you don't get caught up in some old pattern is you've got to know what you're getting. Know what you are. Know what you're getting. The word we use for this, as for short, is we call it sensory acuity. Sensory acuity is the idea that you want to become acutely sensitive to whether what you're doing is working or not. You don't want to just say, okay, I know what I want, I know what I want, and I'm just going to make it happen. This is how I'm going to do it. And you keep hammering it and hammering it and hammering it, doing something that doesn't work. And people do this all the time, right? Do the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. That's called insanity. You can't do the same thing again and again and expect a different result when you can see it doesn't get the result. But we get caught up in our patterns. 
So we want to get really sensitized, acutely sensitized, sensory acuity, to whether what we're doing is working or not. And by the way, sensory acuity is really the measure of a person's intelligence. What I mean by that is how do we measure intelligence? Intelligence is a measure of the number and quality of distinctions you have in a given situation. Like, for example, if you talk to Eskimos, that's actually not the politically correct term anymore. I guess it's in a way. If you talk to an in a way, what we formerly called Eskimos, you'd find out that in a way have more than a dozen words for the word snow. More than a dozen. Now, I'm from Southern California. Guess how many words I have for snow? <laughs> One. I don't see any of it. It's called snow, baby. Right? But they've got to know what kind of snow. They've got to make more refined distinctions to be effective in the world, to get their outcomes. They've got to know what kind of snow you can build an igloo out of, what kind of snow you can take your dogs through, what kind of snow you can eat, right? what kind of snow you're going to fall through. So who has more intelligence, who has more power in that snowy environment, the Eskimo or me? Which one? Eskimo, because they have more sensory acuity. They have more refined distinctions about what each of these elements mean versus I just see it as snow. Now, if you took that Eskimo and you stuck him in my car in Los Angeles, then we find out that maybe I have a little more intelligence because he might try to steer the thing using the rearview mirror. Right? He just doesn't know. So since he doesn't have that acuity, he doesn't have those distinctions, he wouldn't do terribly well there. See, some people I could hold this up and I could say, what is this? And they'd say, well, it's a cylinder. Other people say, no, no, that's a blue, white, and black cylinder. Someone else says, no, no, that's a blue color marker. A few people say, no, no, no. That's not just a blue color marker. That is a pilot, super color, bride and wide color marker, and if you get it in your clothes, it'll never come out. Now, which one of those people has more power? One, two, three, or four? Four, because they have the largest number of distinctions. So now, if you know your outcome, you know why you want it. You got your purpose. You got your drive. You got your A and OPA. This is outcome, purpose, action. You know the massive action. You're taking action, and you notice if it's working. What happens if you notice it's not working? You're taking action, but it's not getting you closer to your outcome. What's the obvious fifth step? The fifth step is change your approach. Change your approach. If what you're doing, your cutie says, is not working, change it. Now, what if you change your approach and that's still not working? Then what would you do? What would you do? Come on, what would you do? Change again. Keep yourself in a peak state. Sit up in your chair. Some of you have gone back into that deep hypnotic state of learning, I can see. And what if you tried that and it didn't work? Then what would you do? What if that doesn't work? What do you do? And what if that doesn't work? What do you do? What if that doesn't work? What do you do? What if after all that it still doesn't work? What do you do? And what if you try that and it doesn't work? How many times? Until you find out what works. Do not say to yourself, I've tried everything. That's bull. If you tried everything, you'd have what you want. Well, I haven't tried everything, but I've tried millions of things. Millions? Number them. Name them. Well, maybe tens of thousands. Tens of thousands? Name a thousand. Well, maybe a hundred. Name a hundred. Well, maybe I did these two things over and over again that don't work. Okay? But when we start saying, I've tried everything, we tend to encant that, don't we? We make it an incantation, and then we believe it. And since we think we've tried everything, we just give up. It's garbage. not true. Hey, let me ask you a question. How long would you give your average baby to learn how to walk, you know, before you shut them off and didn't let them try anymore? You know, what are you, crazy? My kid's going to keep trying until he or she walks. Ah, magic formula. And when almost everything in the whole world walks. Okay? 
So this is the ultimate success formula. It comes down to knowing what you want, why you want it, taking massive action, knowing what's working, and simply changing your approach until you get it. That's it. Anyone who succeeds does this. They may not call it Robin's ultimate success formula, but I guarantee they did it. I mean, corny example, Thomas Edison, these lights in here. Did this guy know his outcome, yes or no? Yes or no? He was absolutely clear without knowing the outcome. He couldn't have built that in a million years. It didn't exist before. He had to decide he wanted to create this result without the use of candles. Did he know why he wanted to do it? You bet. You read his writings. This man had a sense of incredible purpose and drive. Did he take massive action, yes or no? Oh, yes. Tens of thousands of experiments. Did he notice when it wasn't working and learn from it, yes or no? Did he keep changing his approach? That's why right now in this room we don't smell candlelight, right? Now, if you know the old story of him, it's written about him early in his early days. He says he's got his best friend with him. He's doing this experiment, and as he's doing it, he creates a small explosion, which shakes the room, scares both of them very, very severely. And then at the end of that, he gets up, and his friend is totally shaken, freaked out. He pulls out his journal, and he starts writing. And his buddy says to him, what's the matter with you? Insane? You almost killed us. So you're going to wait till you have 10,000 failures before you give this stupid idea up? And Edison's response to him was, I didn't have a failure there. He goes, that's your 9,999th failure. He said, no, it's not. He said, I discovered the 9,999th way not to invent the electric light bulb. But I did discover how to create a small explosion, which may be useful in the future somewhere else. Uh, interesting, right? Because he understood what this process was. Hey, did Bruce Springsteen use this? Do you think he just went out and used his gravelly voice and said, hey, baby, born to USA, and everybody went, yeah, you're it, man. Is that what happened? No. What really happened, if you know his story, was that all the agents and people he went to try and book with said, just play the guitar and keep your mouth shut. Your voice is gross sounding. It's gravelly. It's irritating. No one is going to like the stuff. Keep your mouth shut and play the guitar. But he knew what he wanted. He had all the drive you can imagine. He knew why he wanted it. Took massive action. Kept changing his approach until he got what he wanted. How about uh, Sly Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky? Rocky's story is this even, right? But Sly's is too. Sly's a good friend of mine. And when I first met him years ago, he's listening to my tapes and stuff, and he invited me over for dinner. We started talking. And I said, you know, I've heard your story from other people, but I'd really love to hear it from the horse's mouth. I don't know how much is mythology, you know, urban myth, and how much is true. So he told me his whole story. He said the essence of it, though, was... He said he knew his whole life what he wanted to do since he was very, very young. He wanted to be in the movie business, period. I mean, not just TV, movies. And he, just, he said why was, for him, it was a chance to have people not only escape, but to inspire people. And by the way, that drive is what made most of his movies, inspire people to what they're capable of, to overcome unbelievable obstacles, because in his own life he felt like he did that. When he was born, he was pulled out by the forceps. That's why he looked the way he did. That's why he talked the way he did. And he said, so I really want to do that. And he said, I knew why I want to do it, and I wasn't willing to settle for anything else. And he said, what happened was I went out to try and get jobs, and it's not like I went, hey, Adrian, and they went, you, you're a star. It didn't work out real well. They looked at me and said, hey, you're stupid looking. Do something else. You know, what is it talking like this? There's no place for you in that stuff. You're never going to be a star in the movies. You're insane. No one's going to want to listen to somebody who looks dopey and talks out of the side of their mouth, Right? And he got no after no after no after no. He said, I was thrown out more, more than 1,500 times of agents' offices in New York. I said, there aren't 1,500 agents in New York. He said, I know. I've been to them five, six, seven, eight, nine times. He said, I remember one guy went in there, and I got in there at 4 o'clock, and he wouldn't see me, so I stayed there, and I would not leave. And I stayed overnight. They came back the next morning. I was still sitting there. He said, that's how I got my first job. The guy said, fine, come in here. And he sat down, and he went through this, and he gave me my first movie. 
I said, oh, really? I thought Rocky was your first movie. He said, no, this other movie, I never heard of it. He said, I said, well, what character did you play? He said, well, I was in it for about 20 seconds. I was a thug that somebody beat up. He said, because they made me feel like, you know, somebody, people hate your guts. You getting beat up, it'll be a good thing. And he did like three movies like that. Never got anything. Kept going out. Rejection, rejection, rejection. But finally he realized it wasn't working. So he changed his approach. He said, I was starving, by the way. He said, I couldn't pay for even to have heat in my apartment. My wife was screaming at me every day to go get a job. I said, well, why didn't you? He said, because I knew that if I got a job, he said, I'd get seduced back and I'd lose my hunger. He said, I knew that the only way I could do this is if it was the only choice, if I burned all of the bridges. Because if I did a normal job, pretty soon I'd be caught up in that rhythm and that stuff and I'd feel okay about my life and I'd feel like my dream would just gradually disappear. He said, I wanted to keep that hunger. That hunger was the only thing I thought was my advantage. He said, my wife didn't understand that at all. He said, we'd have these vicious fights. And he said, it was freezing. So I was broke. We had no money. And he said, so I finally went to the public library one day because it was warm. I didn't want to read anything. Since I went in, New York Public Library, he said, I was hanging out there, and I sat down in this chair, and somebody left a book there. And he said, I looked down at this book, and it was the poems of Edgar Allan, stories of Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, so I started reading it, and he said, I got totally into Edgar Allan Poe. And he said, I know everything about it. He goes on for another 20 minutes telling me about Edgar Allan Poe. He knows everything, how he died, what it was about, what really happened. And I said, well, what did Poe do for you? He said, Poe got me out of myself. He got me to think about how I could touch other people and not worry about myself so much. And he said, it made me decide to become a writer. I said, just imagine, Rocky the writer, right? And he said, so I tried to write a bunch of screenplays. Nothing worked, nothing worked. I was totally broke. He said, I didn't even have 50 bucks. And he said, and finally, he said, I sold a script. It was called Paradise Alley. He said, it's a movie I made many years later, but I sold it. And he said, I sold it for 100 bucks. He said, but 100 bucks was a ton of money, man. I was so thrilled. I thought, I'm on my way. But it never led to anything. And he said, so finally, he said, I kept going and going and going. He said, finally, we were so broke. He said, I hawked my wife's jewelry. He said, Tony, there's some things in life you should never do. He said, that was basically the end of our relationship. She hated my gut so much. He said, now we were so broke, we had nothing, no food, no money. And he said, the one thing I loved most in the world was my dog. He said, I love my dog because he gave me unconditional love, unlike my wife. And he said, so what happened was, though, we were so broke that to survive, I couldn't even feed my dog. So I went to a liquor store. He said, it was the lowest day of my life. And I stood outside the liquor store trying to sell my dog to strangers. He said, I tried to sell my dog for 50 bucks. And he said that finally this one guy negotiated with me and bought my dog for me, my best friend on earth, for $25. He said, I walked away from there and I cried. He said, it was the worst thing that ever happened in my life. He said, two weeks later, I'm watching a fight between Muhammad Ali and Weppner, this white guy that's getting bludgeoned but just keeps on coming even though he gets the hell beat out of him. And he said, I got an idea. He said, I, as soon as the fight ended, I started writing. He said, I wrote for 20 straight hours. I did not sleep. I wrote the entire movie in 20 hours straight. Right then, saw the fight, wrote the movie. Whole thing, done. He said, I was shaking at the end. I was so excited. He said, I really knew, man. I knew what I wanted. I knew why I wanted it. He said, just like you teach that formula. He said, but I said, man, I took the action. Now it's time to deliver. And so he said, I went out and started trying to sell it to agents. And they all would read it. And they'd say, you know, this is predictable. This is stupid. This is sappy. He said, I wrote down all the things they said, and I read them the night of the Oscars when we won. Right? He said, it was really good, right? The greatest revenge is massive success. <laughs> and he said, so what happened was, he said, I kept going, trying to sell it, trying to sell it, nobody going, I'm broke, I'm starving. He said, finally, I meet these guys, they read it, and they believe in the script, and they love it. And they offer me $125,000 for my script. 
I said, oh, my God, you must have been out of your mind. He said, I was. I said, just one thing, though, guys. You've got a deal based on one thing. And they said, what's that? He said, i got a star in it. They went, Pfft. what are you talking about? You're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. He said, no, 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 you're a writer. He said, no, no, I'm an actor. That is my story, and I'm Rocky. He said, i got to play it. You know, i got to be the head person. i got to be the starring role. And they said, there's no way. We're not going to pay you $125,000, take some no-name, and stick you in that and throw our money away. We need a star. You know, and they want to have Ryan O'Neal play Rocky to give you a picture. Can you imagine? That's who they picked, right? And so he said, no way, Ryan O'Neal isn't Rocky. I'm Rocky. We'll do this whole thing, right? They finally, he said, they said, well, take it or leave it. He said, I left the room. I said, if that's what you believe, you don't get my script. And he left. Here's a man with no money, none, totally broke, offered $125,000, more money than seen in his lifetime. And he walked away because he knew his real what? Knew his real what? And why he wanted, he was committed to it. So he said they called him a few weeks later, and they came and brought him back, and they offered him a quarter of a million dollars not to star in his own movie. He turned it down, $250,000. They came back, their final offer was $325,000. They wanted this thing. He said, not without me, and they said no. They finally compromised, and they gave him $35,000 and points in the movie, because they said, if this is going to happen, then you're going to take the risk with us. And the bottom line is, we don't think it'll work, but at least we won't spend a bunch of money on you. And they only spent a million dollars to make Rocky, and it grossed $200 million at the time. I, I mean, it was done pretty well. But what's interesting about this is, here's, I said, what'd you do? I mean, even 35000 it's not a quarter of a million. That's a lot of money when you don't have 25 bucks. I said, what's the first thing you did? I figured you went out and partied or something. He said, I went to that liquor store for three straight days and hoped that the man who had my dog frequented the store is because I want to buy back my dog. I thought that was so cool, right? That was really cool. I said, what happened? He said, third day I was there, this guy walks by, and I see him, and I can't believe it, and there's my dog. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, remember me? And he said, it had been about a month and a half by the time this had all come about. And he said, remember me? You know, I'm the guy who sold you the dog. And I goes, yeah, yeah, I love the dog. He said, look. He said, I was so broke, I was starving, he's my best friend, I'm sure you love him too, but I gotta have him black, please, I beg of you. He said, I'll pay you $100 for the dog, I know you paid me $25, but I'll give you $100. The man said, absolutely not, no way. My dog now, you can't buy him back, right? And Sly said, you know, Tony, you know, he said, know your outcome? I said, yeah, he said, I knew it. And he said, I kept changing my approach, so I went, $500 for the dog. The guy said, absolutely no way. He said, $1,000 for my dog. I said, no amount of money on earth is ever going to get this dog for you. I said, what'd you do? He said, I knew my outcome, right? Because he was listening to Dave skip to him. He said, I decided to take massive action. He said, I got my dog. I just kept changing my approach, so I got it. I said, what'd it cost you? $15,000 and a part in Rocky. The guy's in Rocky. You know that dog in Rocky, butt kiss? That's Sly's real dog, right? That's the dog. He bought him back. So, so he put his dog in the movie, and he put the guy in the movie and paid 15 grand while he had 35000 Isn't that pretty cool? Pretty awesome. So there's always a way if you're committed. Just got to keep changing your approach. And there's always a way. You just have to keep changing your approach. So. Are you the kind of person that's afraid of ultimately failing, or are you the kind of person that is 
not afraid to fail, but afraid to succeed. And maybe even afraid to succeed, like my last guest said, in the in the standards of the people around you, society being the one factor where you can say you don't want to end up like society would have you to end up. You know, there are so many different wonderful things that people can do out there. Uh, my first guest uh, takes care of psychology, mental health. My second guest takes care of music and brings you into the realm of, of the music that he develops. What is it that you want to do? And are you afraid to fail or are you afraid to succeed? The whole thing of this program today is face everything and rise. If you are afraid to fail, then you are ultimately afraid to succeed. And you can't have one without the other. So failing is a part of success. But it is a choice that you make to understand that failure is going to come. But what is failure really? It's not really failure. And I've said this many times. I don't believe in failure. What I do believe in is learning experiences. Let me say that again, learning experiences. The point in life where it comes and it teaches you something. It teaches you that, no, maybe this isn't the right way to go. Maybe this isn't the right way to do it. Just like what Robin said when he said, look, you know, the guy says, well, you know, you failed so many times. It's not in fear. I just, I just created a, a, a way to just make a, a, a small bone. <laughs> is that failure? No. He says, yeah, you use that later on. See, failure really isn't failure, guys. It really is success. Because if you're doing it, if you're moving forward, if you're trying hard, if you're looking at different avenues to, to succeed at your goal or to uh, doing micro goals or doing something that, that will make things move forward, when that moment, that teachable moment comes, you will recognize it as thus a teachable moment. A moment in life where everything that you've done so far comes to a plateau, and that plateau tells you, uh, no, that's not the way to go. There are so many different avenues to get to one place. Let's just take being a doctor. Example. You could go to so many different things to be a doctor. Let's just be a general practice doctor, okay? So let's just take that as a as a as a goal. So someone goes to school. They go from kindergarten to elementary to high school and, and middle school into high school, and they realize they want to be a general practice doctor. So they go ahead. They get the best. They, they go through all the courses in school that they can go to in high school. They get all the things that they can get. They gather up everything. They do the best that they can, and they succeed and succeed in passing high school, graduate. Yay! And then they go to college and realize college is totally different from high school. It is nowhere near the same. And that first semester, it's all but near F and 1D. Do they give up? This is typical. It's typical. There are so many people that get D in the first semester, and there are so many people that get straight A's in the first semester. However, is that going to, you know, deter you from your goal? 
It shouldn't. There's an adjustment that needs to be made. There are different things and different study patterns that you may need to take up now. There are different things that you may need to stop doing now. There may there, There's things that you need to start doing now. So these are learnable and teachable moments. And so you go back, and this person goes back and they says, okay, and they bring all their grades up to a B and one A because that D is now an A. Did they fail? No. They graduate. They go ahead and they go and they get their bachelor's degree. Then they go ahead and they go get their master's degree. And then they go back and they get their PhD. Did they fail? No. We all need to understand that failure is the fear of something that doesn't exist yet. I'm going to say that again. Failure is belief in something that doesn't exist yet. It doesn't exist yet. And if it did exist, is that really failure if you're striving to do something and it just doesn't work at that moment and something just doesn't work? So change it. Move forward. Do something different. You know, you can't do the same like, like Tony Robinson. You, it, it's just, the craziest thing is to believe that you can keep doing the same thing and get different results. people are people who have tried and tried and changed and tried and changed and tried and kept going and changed and changed and tried this and tried that and tried this and tried that. And they kept going until ultimately, bang, there it is. That's what works. And like they say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But we have to continue to do before we can figure out what really, truly does work. Where That's where the trials, that's where the tribulations, that's where the learning experiences come into play. So is there really such thing as failure? No. Failure is an imaginary thing that happens to people when they overthink things and then they fall into a ditch in their mind. But truly, it hasn't even happened yet. So if you're trying to write that book, just write the book. If you don't know where people are going to, I mean, how it's going to get published, where it's going to go, it doesn't matter. Just write the book. But finish writing a book, then you can think about the next step. It's one thing at a time. Get one thing done and then tackle the next. So many different avenues out for us now that we have this internet in our fingers and the, the, and the tools and the networking. And by the time you finish doing the one thing, the next thing will come right into play. I'm telling you, just do it. Now, I am writing a book. It's going to be a big one because I have so much to share. But I, I have to say that yesterday I was a little discouraged. I was discouraged because I wasn't able to offer an opportunity to someone because they cut me off. Before I could even finish my sentence, it was over. And so it wasn't like I was 
I was upset because I didn't get anything. I was upset because I couldn't offer anything. And that kind of made me a little a little upset. Because I want to make sure that people understand that I'm here for them. I'm here to help you get through whatever it is you need to get through. And so I have put a new thing in place where I will tell a person before I begin a sentence to please listen to the entire sentence before you make the decision because there are going to be a multiple, a couple of things here I want to say, and maybe one isn't for you, but maybe the other one will be. And so these are going to be things that I'm going to implement into my speech so that I can offer the things I need to offer to the people that I need to offer it to. Now, ultimately, the other person did lose out because I actually do have that program that they were talking about, and I would love to offer it to them. But sometimes we, and I am included, cut off our blessings because we make quick decisions in haste. And I noticed the opposite of that. When I noticed that I couldn't offer the offer to the person, but I also noticed that the offer was still there, but the person couldn't get the offer because they moved quickly. They, they moved too fast. So sometimes we do slow down because we miss our blessings by just moving too fast, deciding too fast, speaking too soon. We need to take our time. Make sure we know everything that's going on, and then make the the decision. The decision is ours to make. The choice is ours to make. But when we speak too quick or when we make decisions in haste, we we miss it. We miss it. We lose out. And then it may be a while before another you know avenue will open up for us to actually get the blessing that we should have gotten a while ago. And doing this, yes, I I believe I've missed out on some stuff because of my big, quick mouth. Yes. Yes. So now I have to implement a slowdown thing for myself, but also a disclaimer before I talk. And I hope you join me in this. I hope you join me in being a little bit slow to speak and and quick to listen. But, again, I want to say that fear of failure is only in our minds. If you think about all the times that you thought you were going to fail, you thought you were going to fail. It wasn't like you failed. It was it was more so, I'd say, 90% of the time, it's the imagination going wild and making you fail even before you begin. And nothing has happened yet. So is that true failure? No. Those are just our imaginations going crazy. We can just put that into subject and say, no, I'm going to go and do it anyway. I, I I just admonish you today to to learn from my mistakes so that you don't make them. Because, you know, that's the best way to learn, <laughs> mistake-free. <laughs> Let someone else make the mistakes, and then you learn from them. That's my motto, too. And, it's, you know, I wish I would have 
I wish I would have, but I didn't. But that's okay because now I know. And did I fail? No. I just learned one way of not to do things. <laughs> well, we're going to go ahead and put a little bit of music on while we wait for our, our next caller to call in. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. You're tuning in to Bomb Baby Radio as well as 97.5 FM Community Radio in North Fort Florida and the Caribbean Community Radio uh, and the Dream Chasers Network. Uh, I am I am blessed. I'm truly blessed. Uh, and uh, Dream Chasers is growing. It really is growing. And I am very appreciative. Thank you. And uh, here's a little bit of music here. I mean, Spoonie and Raj, that's how it goes.
to do until one day the mom has had enough. So in that book, uh, pretty much coming from my background, I just shared uh, a little bit of my culture. So the word, um, the day that mama made me dance is like a metaphor. You have to find out why mama made her dance in that particular book. Okay. Any questions? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm full of questions. Definitely full of questions. Okay, now, okay so, <laughs> so, you know, you recently just one, and, uh, and, you know, you're a mental health counselor. How did you, as a mental health counselor, get through that, that loss with all the stuff that you know, or was it still difficult? Well, basically, God, prayer, just believing in myself, motivation from my mom, her support, my dad just always talking to me and just telling me that I could do it and just keeping my head in the books and just, mm-hmm. you know, not always going out and doing what everybody else was doing. I had to single myself out and get some alone time and just dedicate myself to work and the books and getting the education and just standing on what I believe in, what God told me that I was capable of doing. So, mm-hmm. you know, being being a mental health counselor is sort of kind of like a gift, but I've been doing it since forever. You know, I've been doing caregiving forever. Uh, my, my sister mm-hmm. was born with a disability, so I had to care for her. And my mom, she's always suffered with some type of sickness, and my family owned a group home at some point. Um, so I sort of kind of started doing things early in the healthcare field. Mhm. Hmm. Now, you know, we all, like you said, you know, your your faith, your belief, your 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 mom, and and everyone helping and supporting you. But has there, uh, have you ever had to make a one eighty, a turn, and and just kind of figure out for yourself that the direction you were going in wasn't the direction that you wanted to go. Ultimately, you decided not to do one thing, do something different. It was in the point when I was in college. Um, I first started out doing nursing, and, you know, I started doing, like, the CNA work, and I got in there, and I was just like, oh, gosh, I can't do this. I started panicking. I think it was at the point when I had to change someone and lift them and doing all these other things that I wasn't ready for. And at that point, I was just like, I got to find something else that I'm that I'm going to be good at. I think when we get to college, we, we be set on one type of career until we actually get in there and, and get our hands in it, and we just figure out, now this is not for us. So I'm going to say in college, that's when I had my little turning point, um, and that's when I found out, like, mental health is the key. That's what's best for me because I've already been helping and counseling people already before even starting the career, so college. Mm-hmm. Hmm, hmm. And, okay, so now that you've changed the career, you, you decided that you could not change people. Uh, you, that that must have been a big big thing for you. Uh, it is hard. I've done it, um, and so that's not a very easy situation to be in for for the person that's doing it, neither for the person that's receiving. Um, so, but you you changed your career, you changed your mind. What did you do when you decided to change it? How did you change it? Did you change your courses? Um, did you have to continue in the courses and then change later? And then when you did change. How did it make you feel, that change? Did it make you feel like you were starting all over again, or or was it something that you were just happy to do? Okay, so I had a mentor, my boss. Um, 
he was like my supervisor. I went to him and I asked him, I said, you know, how did you, you know, how did you become my boss? You know, I want to be you. I want to be in your shoes. And I went to him mm-hmm. and he was like, well, first off, Patrice, finish your education. And um, if you get a bachelor's degree, you know, continue on with a master's. If you get the master's, you could do anything or, you know, you'll get your foot in the door, but continue with school. Um, so at that point, I switched my major from nursing because it was like, I think it was the summer. I, I switched it um, and I started into human services technology. And I felt happy because I just knew that this wasn't for me, like nursing wasn't for me. It was a lot of different things that I wasn't ready to do that a nurse, you know, had to do. So I'm going to say it was at that point, summer 2004, 2005-ish, something like that. I just felt determined to just switch everything over to psychology, human services, the social work, science field, and that's how I started. Mm. Mm. So, being that you're in the mental health profession, what is one of the things that you found yourself doing on a regular basis that you never thought you would be doing on a regular basis? I'm going to say listening to a lot of people's um, issues and just trying to go home and just trying to reflect on everything that I've taken in and trying to release so many issues, so many problems, you know, and Mm -hmm. I never thought that it was going to be that hard, you know. Reading when you're in school was a little bit different. You don't know until you actually get into that field and get a feel for people. So I'm going to say just hearing the stories, those are hard. And then just trying to Mm -hmm. problem solve to figure out how you're going to help someone, those have been um, hard things for me to deal with with mental health. But I've learned to release. Mm. Mm. How how was that for you, learning to release? How did you learn to release? How was that? I mean, you know, is that a hard thing to do uh, for some or easy for some? Was it easy for you? Meditating, I'm going to say exercising, going on vacation, just trying to have some family time, peace. Me just trying to learn some knowledge about what peace is for me and me trying to find my happiness, that's what stress relief is for me, basically. And and believe it or not, I'm still going through that, you know, just trying to find peace and not just listen to everybody's problems and trying to help them solve them. You know, I just need peace pretty much. So stress relief for me is listening to some good music, traveling, having laughs, Hmm. Most people don't have peace. Uh, how, I mean, you know, what do you suggest people do to get that peace? Besides meditating and everything that you do, what is like the first thing that they should do to get peace? I'm going to say meditate. Meditate. Go to a nice spot and meditate for about five or ten minutes. That way you'll know what it is that's bothering you. You can gain some type of insight on how to problem solve and just get whatever the issue is out of your life. Start meditating. Mm. Gain some clarity about what the issue is and work on trying to solve that problem. Okay. All right. And so now, okay, something that I have to ask, and I've, I've been asking this the entire show, were you afraid? at any point in your life 
about your future, either afraid to fail or afraid to succeed? I'm going to say in high school I felt afraid to fail in a way. Um, I felt challenged and pushed because there were so many different things that were going on around me. You know, I had people that didn't like me. It was always something that was going on in my life. And I felt like, am I going to make it out of high school? And I was like, no, I have to make it out of high school. This is like a challenge for me. i got to prove everybody wrong because people are counting mm-hmm. on me to fail. So I'm going to say high school was that point in my life where I felt like I don't know if I'm going to make it or break it. You know, even my mm-hmm. um, family members was like, I hope she make it. I'm praying for her. Even my principal, when I walked across the stage, he was like, I'm so happy that you made it. Make sure you change your attitude. So high school was the make it or break it moment for me when I felt like, oh, I might fail, but I made it through. Hmm. Were you your biggest critic? I mean, were you hard on yourself to the point where you almost broke yourself at one time? All the time. All the time, I'm my biggest critic. Uh, I... I don't know where I think it stemmed from being a child and you know well I had a mom that was always strict and she's always well you didn't do this do that so I started to beat up on myself a little bit just trying to make sure that things are right or you know am I how am I looking is this right is the house clean just all different kinds of things would run through my head so yeah I am my biggest critic and I'm I'm learning each day to just let go let's have fun it's it's okay to not be serious Right. Oh, and okay. So you say you're learning each day. How are you learning? I mean, what is the one thing that you're doing that maybe someone else can mimic you in doing? Reflecting on my past and just trying to forget about all the different things that have hurt me, and just trying to create good memories. I just want to be in in good spirits. I want to pray. I want to be around good people, people that don't bring me down. You know, just laughing. I just want to laugh more and just be stress-free. So each day I'm just learning to start forgetting about the past and stop critiquing myself so much. I feel so much more better. I I feel a whole lot free when I'm not judging myself or judging others or, you know, just trying to get everything right. Because what I've learned about myself is that I'm not perfect and nobody else in this world is perfect. So just being free and just doing it. Mhm. Wow. And to me, that is important. What is the most important thing to you uh, when it comes to living your life and 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 being in that relationship with your family? The most important thing for me right now is myself, creating happiness for myself, my children, making sure that they have a stable home just making sure that I'm together. I don't want them to see me falling apart or, you know, seeing me being treated a certain way. So I'm going to say happiness for myself and just making sure that I'm showing my children love, my brothers and my sisters love, and just being an open person. So feeling free and being free right now is important is that good for other people as well in their mental health? Because I know that your field, uh, your 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 profession is the mental health, you know, field. But I wanted to make sure that all the things that we've talked about today, does that tie in with mental health? Yes, sure, it does. It certainly does. Uh, mental health for me, pretty much, was like common because it's everything that's around you, people, 
behaviors, attitudes, culture, all that's taken into consideration when we're talking about mental health. Um, it's just not the negative things. And I think a lot of people get that part confused because we're always talking about the symptoms and things. We don't really celebrate people that come out of the mental health and that are singing in good mental health. Um, so, yeah, everything is pretty much mental health, just like sociology and psychology, you know. It's the world, mm. the behaviors, culture, people. Mm. And Okay, so where can people reach you uh, in, in order to purchase books? I mean, I do have your, your website here, but are there any other pages uh, that they can reach you? www.booksbypatrice.com, restored.com, that's R-E-S-T-O-R-R-E-D. And you can reach me on Facebook at Patrice Siobhan Brown or Instagram at Patrice Siobhan. Pretty much that's it. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. You know, is there anything that we didn't discuss today that you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, just be free, be yourself, be happy, and learn because I'm learning each day. And just don't ever be too serious with yourself. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to drive in a slow lane. Not everybody can can drive in a fast lane. It's okay. Take your time. Everybody's learning. That's that's a very very big thing right there. And thank you so much, Patrice, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, until next time. Wow. You know, Patrice Brown said it, and she said it so eloquently. Be free. (laughs) And not everybody can do the fast lane. Take your time. Take your time. You know, we all have our preoccupations of, of the future, and we're all kind of nervous, and and you know we all kind of just going at it. But we have a pace, and I I would say don't ever let anyone force you to go faster than what you think you can go. Just uh, like Patrice said it, and she said it so great. Just relax, take your time. I love it. <laughs> well, that is another edition of Dream Chasers Radio, and I have to say it again that I have been blessed. Um, to now be in the Caribbean. So we're in uh, all the islands. We're broadcasting um, on all the islands. We're broadcasting always, uh, uh, always been broadcasting here on the Dream Chasers Network as well as on 97.5 FM Real Community Radio in North Fort, Sarasota, uh, parts of St. Pete, Coulison. I mean, we're, we're, we're doing the West Coast. And now I'm on the East Coast starting today. So uh, the Caribbean, the East Coast. So we're doing all of South, all the way down into the islands and broadcasting all the way through and in New York City on Bobby B Radio. So what does that mean? That means I've been into a lot of meetings. <laughs> that means that Dream Chasers Radio is growing and reaching more people each and every time I do a meeting. And I want to thank every listener upon the sound of my voice for listening to this program. You are appreciated. First of all, you are now part of the Dream Chasers Radio family. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And I hope that every person that has ever been on this show knows how important they are 
to just not only me, but to you as a listener, to encourage you, to show you that it is possible, your dreams, that everyone has a beginning, everyone has a middle, and everyone has an end. And I'm telling you right now that you are just in the beginning stages of whatever your dream is. Continue to do it. Continue to be a dream chaser. Don't ever stop. And you know what? As long as you have breath in your body, there is something that you can do at every stage in life. Thank you again so much for tuning in. Oh, my goodness. I will see you soon, and you will be seeing me soon, and I won't give up too much information, but just put it that way. <laughs> and uh, don't What? Dare to be different, baby. And that's always going to be my saying for all you new people. You have to do it with me. You ready? Don't forget to what? Dare to be different, baby. <laughs> Until next time, guys. Bye. I dare to be different. I dare to.